0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode is a conversation with Chris Lewitt of the Chris Lewitt Tennis Academy and author of the book, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Chris um, is someone who I trained under for four or five years as a a young junior player. Uh, So he taught me a lot of what I know about the sport and uh, really a lot of uh, what I'm able to do here is uh, is thanks to him, we get into Rafael Nadal and Carlos Alcaraz in a conversation that kind of bounces back and forth between both of them and some larger, broader topics about the game and Spanish tennis. Because out as you could tell by the title of his book, and he's got other books as well, by the way. But of his the the book that that we mostly discuss, Secrets of Spanish Tennis, uh, Chris has dedicated. A lot of his time and effort into understanding the Spanish model and traveling around Spain to learn about what the coaches in Spain at the biggest academies in the country have taught their students to create what was throughout the 2000s and the 2010s, the premier tennis powerhouse in the world. So Nadal talk, Alcaraz talk with Chris Lewitt without further ado. We're joined for the first time by Chris Lewitt, the founder and head coach at the Chris Lewitt Tennis Academy. My former coach trained with Chris for a number of years. I always, uh, I always give him a lot of credit whenever I talk about where uh, a vast, a vast amount of my tennis knowledge comes from. It's from the teachings of the man on the right or left of your screen. I'm uh, disoriented that way. Um, and and Chris also has a book, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis, among others. Chris, long time coming. Glad we could finally get together here.
1: Yeah, Gil, it's good to be back. You're very kind with your words. Um, I don't know if I can live up to these words.
0: Yeah, I think you can. Um, I'm excited to, uh, to, <laughs> I'm to get into Nadal and, Nadal and You're Carlos Alcaraz here.
1: I'm not going to let you down, Gil.
0: You never do. Um, Chris, I, I guess let's start with, uh, before we get into the meat of our conversation from a introductory Uh, standpoint. You, uh, you've really delved into Spanish tennis in a big way. You've studied the coaching methods. You've studied the history. What, what was it that made you decide to go into that? Why did you as a coach decide to dive into Spanish tennis?
1: Yeah. So I get that question a lot and I can give you the short, medium or long version, depending on how much detail you want to hear. But basically about 15 years ago, more or less. Well, I was at a conference, I was at a USDA high-performance workshop. And I remember the, the moment, Jay Berger, I don't know if you're familiar with Jay Berger, he was the uh, director of men's coaching at USDA. He gave uh, a talk, like a lecture, and he had, they had taken a group of coaches. The USDA had taken a, like an exploration, exploratory group to Spain and they were trying to figure out what they were doing so well because they were kicking so much butt and they were small country right so he came back and he gave us a, he gave a lecture and and his uh what what he based he summed it up and he said basically they they just work like animals they work really really hard and he kind of uh in his mind that was kind of it like there was nothing really special they just worked like animals over there and and i and i my curiosity was piqued, and i said to myself you know what there's got to be more to the story than that. And I ended up booking a flight to, to Spain and taking a, a training course at, at the uh, Academia Sanchez Casal, Sanchez Casal Academy in Barcelona. That was my first trip to Spain, I think it was 2006. And that's how the journey began. I, I took uh, just a, a, a certification course there and then I started exploring uh, different academies there and visiting, uh, and trying to learn from the, the legends over there. And uh, eventually, after many trips to Spain, it culminated in that book that you mentioned, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis, which has been very popular and and I think really the definitive book on what they do really well in Spain.
0: Well, you talk about all those players uh, kicking butt, as you said, and at the top of that was Rafael Nadal. And now, over a decade later, the butt is is still being kicked and uh, 21st major at the australian open five set win over Daniil medvedev and chris i mean for me despite all the things he did physically in that match that was very impressive technically in that match that was very impressive i don't think he can win that without the uh the nadal mentality and i know one thing that that you teach at your academies is willingness to suffer ability to suffer how did you think that that played a role in that match? And can you explain why is that an asset? Like, why does it help a player win matches to be able to suffer?
1: Yeah. So that that's, uh, so Rafa is, is the prototypical Spanish player. He demonstrates many of the, uh, many of the aspects that I wrote about in the book. He's, uh, in, in the book, I discovered that there are, you know, six quote unquote secrets and, uh, one of them was uh, is suffering, the willingness to suffer. So Rafa uh, demonstrates that to the highest level. He, uh, I mean, we can talk about that match a little bit. I watched some of the highlights. of that match an incredible uh, match, and he was, uh, you know, there's many times when when you think he Rafa like a normal person would would give up and and uh, pack it in. And Rafa always seems to fight, and and he's always willing to suffer till the very end. And if you go to Spain and all the academies and coaches there and, and the, the players there are taught that those values, you know, those values of perseverance and suffering. So Rafa demonstrates that to the highest level. And, uh, he also is, uh, I know we're going to talk about his game a little bit and the evolution of his game, but he also, um, is a great example of, of many other aspects of what they do very well in Spain.
0: Why can't every player? suffer like rafa right i mean it would be in an ideal world right can't everyone just try as hard as they can on every single point no matter what but that i know that that's not the case but as someone who trains juniors what what do you see gets in the way of that
1: i mean for for most for most people after losing that second set i mean they would they would they would have a lot of doubts and they would Mm -hmm everyone's different. Everyone has a different personality. So some kids might get angry. Some players might get angry. Some players might feel uh, embarrassed or shame or, or uh, uh, they, they might get, uh, they might lose their focus with frustration. Um, so every player has, is going to have a different, depending on their, their psychology is going to have a different response to, but imagine that situation, nine out of 10 top juniors would, will, will fold easily there. You know, they're going to have a very poor uh, showing in the beginning of that third set, and they're, they're probably going to, you know, pack it in. So, right. you know, R- Rafa, is, he's just one of those unique people who has all the physical gifts, you know, in, in terms of being an elite athlete. He has uh, world-class speed, and he has uh, world-class endurance, and amazing hand-eye, and all, all these gifts, uh, good, good power, very good uh, racket acceleration. And, and, but he combines it with those mental strengths. That that's why he has so many grand slams. That's why he's an unstoppable force on clay. And can you imagine winning that many Roland Garros titles? It's, it's the most remarkable achievement maybe in any any sport. It's incredible. Uh, it's just unheard of. I mean, back in the day, winning winning a few, when Sergio Bruguera won two Roland Garros, 93, and 94, it was the most amazing achievement in Spain. It was It was an incredible accomplishment in Spain. It was a really big deal because they had a long drought in spain uh they had a, like a 17 year drought before, um on the men's side for, for grand slam winners so just winning one or two roland goes incredible but he's able to uh win so many because of his mentality and because he combines that mentality with the great physical gifts. so with alcaraz Gil, is he going to have the the psychological does he have the psychological gift sure. and because it's clear to me just from watching him play i've been following him for the last few years i I think I started sharing his uh, Instagram post like maybe two two years or three years ago, like when he was just coming up, fifteen or sixteen. Because when I was traveling in Spain, there was word going around that you know between all the coaches, I said I said who's coming next? Spain was uh, had started to go down a little bit, and they were struggling. And I said to my friends there, coaches who, who I, whom I know, I said you know who's coming up next? And everybody said there's this kid, there's this like 50, you know 16 year old kid. His name is Alcaraz. You got to watch out for this kid. So I've been kind of watching him for a while, and I think he has those physical gifts that Ratha has. Mm-hmm. But my question is, will he be able to show up, and bring the bring the goods, under sure. under under you know when when he's put to the fire, in those moments where you have to insulate yourself from pressure, in those moments where you have to come up with the, that shot on in the big moment. If you saw the way he double faulted on uh, match point. Against Berrettini,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think I think that's right. You would know, Gil. You follow. You follow the matches closer than I do. Yeah,
0: I I, I believe that's I believe that's right. In the third set that kind
1: uh, you know that that those you know a fifth set. That's, that's something Rafa would ever do. I don't know. Just but yeah. but uh, well, he's clearly a great fighter, but we'll see. He's still very young, and we'll see if he can. I don't know if anyone ever be like Rafa again. But what Rafa has is also very special, he's a lefty. Mm-hmm. so he adds that he brings that that's something even more unique because it's a big advantage uh i thought a lot of top-ranked juniors who are lefties it's just a great great gift to have if you if, if they're taught the right way right you know? but if the coach uh develops that but unfortunately many high performance coaches just uh they coach lefties like their righties which is kind of i think a waste of uh, potential
0: yeah I think for, for Carlos, he uh, he's clearly incredibly motivated and very focused on the court for his age. He's always engaged. He competes very yeah. hard. But in that match against Berrettini, he was a little bit too pumped up, and he was trying to make every shot too good. And Chris, where the willingness to suffer question comes in, in my opinion, is just with his shot selection. It's still very aggressive, and he assumes a lot of risk sometimes when – he doesn't necessarily need to, especially because he's such an incredible athlete, so strong in the legs for his age. Yeah. So, so I wonder if, uh, as he develops, he's going to learn to just be a little bit more patient and consistent and dial back a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think, you're, I think you that, that analysis is good, but try to separate the willingness to suffer from being great under pressure because they're right. different. Right. And I have no doubt that he's willing to suffer. He grew up in Spain, and he's trained at a great academy at Juan Carlos Ferrero. I've been there. It's a world-class academy that is finally getting their due, by the way. I think it's wonderful because for many years, they sort of, no one really, they didn't get a lot of press. They didn't get a lot of attention. And this is like an incredible accomplishment. I'd love to talk about how difficult it is to take a young kid, like 15, 16, and bring them, up to even top 100 in the world let alone now getting to closer to 30 and it looks like he's going to probably move up you know into the top 10 at some point you know could could happen this year incredible it's just an amazing accomplishment every academy around the world it's their dream that they get they could just get a kid like that recruit them and develop them and and uh, this is a very rare thing for an academy to have someone who breaks into the top 100 it's a really big deal it's a really big deal for Equelite and and for Juan Carlos Ferrero and it really helps put them on the map, and I think it establishes them as a as, as a place that offers world class training. They really weren't that well known. I mean, maybe in the in in some circles, in high performance circles, they were well known. But I mean, I wrote about them in my book, but that was back, you know, almost you know ten years ago. Uh, and they're kind of out of the way. They're in a little town, and they're in um, J. C. Ferrero's home, uh, hometown of Vienna. It's a little town in Alicante, so they're they're uh, it's in the middle of nowhere it's like in the, the farmland uh, so it's not near a big city it's difficult to get there by airplane and the fact that that little academy based on uh, on Juan Carlos Ferrero's private estate has just developed this this guy and he could be number one in the world mm-hmm. you know uh this it, is really an amazing story and that Juan Carlos Ferrero could identify him at 15 and 16 and say this guy has the goods this guy could actually you know in a couple of years could be uh uh I mean, let alone he's he's like around thirty right now, right? He yeah, he's yes. Yeah, I mean, he's, let to me say, top hundred is an amazing accomplishment for any academy. We have JMTA here in New York. They've been trying for for a decade now, trying to develop anyone who can make top hundred. You know, they still haven't done it. You have lot. You have lots of academies all over the world pumping in lots of money into recruitment and grassroots and talent ID and and that this little academy in Spain did this. It's a amaz- It's an amazing story. I. I I write a lot for magazines. I should probably write about this amazing story. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. Uh, is, there, um, is there anything Juan I, Carlos? Is, is there anything um, Juan Carlos Ferrero does philosophically uh, that that you think is is unique from the other Spanish coaches? I see Alcaraz, and you know he he does have a a very strikingly aggressive game. Uh, yeah. It's not a it's not a stereotypical Spanish grinder.
1: It's a really interesting question. It it can go it can take you into a lot of different tangents because. He plays. He reminds me a lot of the way Juan Carlos Ferrero played the mosquito. I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you're too young, Gil, but I mean Juan Carlos Ferrero was the man. They play very similarly, in in my view. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking back through my, you know, through my memory of, of Juan Carlos Ferrero and the way he played. But he had uh, that same beautiful agility. You know, he moved around the court. That's what um, kind of like with the same grace and. Um, with the same agility the way the way that uh, Alcaraz moves his movement is just this is beautiful yeah and uh, uh, JC Ferrero plays that way and JC Ferrero had this great great forehand the way Alcaraz has we had really good acceleration and and JC Ferrero had uh, at the time he played with a stronger court position Who was more one of the better Spanish players on hard courts at that time versus like someone like Sergio Bruguera, who played a lot deeper with heavier, you know, like heavier spin with more shape. Uh, You know, Sergio Bruguera sort of is the prototypical Spanish, you know, topspin dirt baller uh, who played very very defensively in terms of court position. And and J.C. Ferrero from from the Alicante and the Valencia region, so that's like four hours, five hours south of Barcelona. That area, for some reason, I don't know if it has to do with uh, uh, the coaches from that region, but they produce players with more conservative grips, uh, more hard court proficiency, uh, better court, more positioning closer to the baseline. That area produces pros and juniors that play a little more the way Alcaraz plays. And if you go up more to Barcelona, you see a lot more dirt ballers like with the Bruguera style. And Bruguera really pushes players back deep you know, from the baseline, the way that you see, well, we, I'd love to talk about like, like the positioning of Medvedev or the positioning of Zverev. You know, so the Bruguera system is very much like defend, 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 play heavy, still using the forehand, but like in a, in a slightly different tactical way. And so I, to me, there's a clear delineation between the style in Barcelona, just as in general, every coach is different. Every academy is a little different in their philosophy, but that's the style you see coming from um, the Valencia region, Alicante region, like Bautista Agut's a good example of that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Carreño Busta, a good example of that. The, 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 grip, the, the grip structure tends to be cleaner down there and the court positioning tends to be a little more aggressive, uh, and Alcaraz plays exactly like that style. His grips are very conservative, very very good grips. You know, he hits the ball real clean, takes the ball or can take the ball early. But he yeah. also gives very well. He has a very nice balance. Like you said, he needs to be more consistent. I mean, he he can he can he can defend and he can move back deep in the court. He he has beautiful classic spanish court position in the sense that he can he can go in and out that's like a big thing in spain to be able to move in and out of the court mm-hmm. he does that really really well like he'll defend he'll take the return early then he'll fade back and defend then he'll move forward again and take advantage with his forehand and he does a lot of inverted forehands the drive invertido which is a big thing in spain you know that's very classic spanish to use the forehand the way he does so he's doing a lot of things classically and he's doing a lot of things modern uh, in terms of of the, his core position, the way he attacks, the way he uses the forehand. So to me, he's like the prototypical modern Spanish style, the, the more progressive Spanish style. And if you see like the classic dirt ballers who they hang back more and they play with a lot, maybe with more RPM, the way Nadal used to play. The way Nadal used to play, Gil, I look back at 2009 Australian final between Nadal and Federer because I knew we were just gonna talk a little bit about Nadal. Like yep. the way he played then, is like much more classically Spanish, right? Like, like deeper positioning, heavier spin. Use the four. He loves the forehand. I mean, that's that's Tony's system. Tony's system is is the inverted foreign, you know. That, but but uh, I actually liked his technique better back then. You know, he yeah. he did a lot less a lot less reverse. Forehands and he he tapped his shoulder more with the follow through.
0: With the, the follow through, was less uh, over his yeah, same 2009, shoulder. 2009,
1: 2009, he did a lot less of that.
0: Okay, interesting. Tony, Tony didn't like Tony didn't like that. Tony doesn't like
1: that. Tony teach Tony taught him to follow through right. If you see him when he warms up and when or when he's just you know hitting around, he right. taps he taps his bicep yep. or he taps deltoid or just mm-hmm. below his deltoid. So when he was a kid and like when Tony brought him up, he would always. That was his finishing point to tap the side of the arm, and he was doing that a lot in 2009. And like you see, like now he's like so much reverse. And I wonder what can I say? He's winning, but uh, I know that it probably keeps Tony up at night. And but you know, <laughs> what, can, what can you say? Because he's 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 winning. He's he's the Nadal. He's got 21 majors. But I mean, I would never teach a kid to, to reverse that much. I like, think it's a really bad habit. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. Well. First of all, there, there's a lot, lot of interesting things there. I love uh, what you uh, would described as the elastic uh, court positioning, being able to, to move up for offense, to, to lay back. And it's so funny because I've been seeing Felix, who has been now working with Uncle Tony for coming up on six months, and OJ Aliassime has just started to use his court position in that way for, uh, for the first time. And I think it's really helped his game.
1: Yeah, so in 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 Tony's system, Tony is also very progressive, modern, like as opposed to like Bruguera and Pato Alvarez, who are very classical with a lot more defense. So, I mean, if you to try to understand Spanish philosophy in a nutshell, you have like Luis Bruguera and Pato Alvarez, who are like very much the old guard, like they're the godfathers, uh, the godfathers of Spain. They're they're an older generation of coaching of coaches. They're both from Barcelona, and they teach a very defensive. I don't want to. I'm going to say defensive just because the corpus They don't mind. They allow the player to go really deep. Mm-hmm. And Tony, and if you go down to Valencia or Alicante, uh, Equilite, Juan Carlos Ferrero's academy, they they have a, they play more aggressive with court position. That's a big difference in, in their philosophies. And Tony's, is, uh, uh, if you go to the Ralph Nadal Academy, uh, I've been there, uh, of course, um, they have a lot of hard courts and they teach, um, you know, they teach a more aggressive style. Tony believes in attacking. You know, Tony is not all about defense. defense. He, he believes in a good defense, but I mean, Tony is the first person to tell you that he believes in the four is the most important shot in the game. And you have to, you have to have winning shots. You know, I studied, I took a, a really intensive course with Tony on um, an online uh, training course. And I mean, one of his main thrusts was that you have to have a winning shots, so, you know, you have to be steady, but you have to have like, you know, weapons, you know, and not all Spanish coaches uh, uh, are, are focused that much on being aggressive, especially with the court position. Uh, but yeah, this, the way Alcaraz goes in and out is really beautiful. I, 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 I would use him for all of my students. I want all of my students to study his movement. And he makes it look so good because he has world-class speed. And, and world-class speed and agility and coordination, when you, when you see it on TV or when you see it in live, it's just really special. It's beautiful. He looks like Spider-Man. He looks like, uh, like Batman and Spider-Man uh, uh, combined. And, and he, <laughs> you know, he has, yeah. he, it's really, it's really, pretty, I've had a few, I, occasionally I get a student like that who has world-class speed and agility, world-class multi-directional movement. And it's so, so cool to see. I've had, I had one kid, he was, his dad was uh, Olympics, hundred meter. And this kid, was so fast like it kind of reminds me of I have a few, few special kids like that but it's very rare because some kids are fast like your average national rank junior is fast but not this is not what I'm talking about I'm talking about like blazing fast like you could they could run like a 4 two forty, you know in, in the football combine you know uh, and Alcaraz has that kind of movement has that kind of speed that's why he's so cool to watch like if you watch him moving around the way he can gain ground and like make up speed like if he's out of position it's just really really special and that's what all the pros that he plays everyone he plays they respect him and they see him coming up with like a like a bullet and they're they they're very you know, people talk about him his his opponent people he plays i said this kid's gonna be you know because he has that world-class speed and speed on the tennis court is is uh is kills determining factor it, it changes it changes the entire game if you if you have that kind of, not, but there's different levels of speed you know like he's yeah. at that highest level and it, and also he has that gracefulness and that agility and balance that they do so well in spain but that in and out movement is very um you see it all the time in spain he may, does it especially well and he takes the ball early especially well which makes him a little more of a threat on fast courts you know that kind of thing
0: that's what i've what i've said about Alcaraz and the position that I've had. And a lot of people are looking at, at him and Yannick center and making that comparison and who's going to be better. And look, Yannick, Yannick is a special, special ball striker. And it's going to take him very, very far, but uh, I'm going to take the athlete. I'm going to take that genetic lottery speed uh, because to me, you know, I I grew up at a time, Chris, where I I felt like the best three, the best four movers in the sport, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray were the four best players in the sport. And you had, you had some other guys like a Gail Monfils who had other fundamental issues and holes in their game that, that p- prevented them from, from being at the very top of the sport. But for the most part, I look at the four best movers, the four best athletes and and they're ruling the sport. Am I oversimplifying that? Or, or is that how, uh, so is those, that a fair so way to look at
1: it? That you mentioned maybe not Murray, but, but Federer and Nadal, certainly they have that same speed. And that's why they they dominate they they have dominated. Uh, maybe dolls slowing half a step, I don't a little bit, but for um, sure,
0: yes,
1: yeah. Um, but they in their prime had that same type of wheels. And so when you see that, you get really excited as a coach. Like if I see a kid who can move like that, I'm always looking for that. And the other thing I'm looking for is is uh, elasticity of uh, how much power they can, a kid can generate. The, the, if you want to know what I'm looking for, for talent IDs the first thing I want is how, 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 what do they got for wheels? And then how much power can they generate when they strike the ball? Those are, those are two like big, big priorities that if I'm trying to determine how far a kid can go, uh, those are, those are the, there, there's a lot of other aspects too. We talked about the mentality and the psychology and the, there's, there's the X factor. There's a lot of other factors, but those two, if you don't have those two, I don't think you can get to that, that, Grand Slam level, you know, really high level. You know, you can you can still be good. Uh, so those those guys you mentioned, I don't know Murray. Maybe he's. I don't know if he has that same top level speed, but he's. I mean, obviously he moves very very well. Beautiful. Forward. Yeah. But uh, Federer and Nadal, I think that's and they. Federer has that speed. And and, Federer, and Novak, right? And uh, yeah. And no, Noah, see, no, it's the other yeah. guy. I mean, I tell my son all the time, these guys. But it's not just their; it, it's a combination of their yeah. their their multi-directional speed, but also their endurance. So those guys, especially Nadal and Djokovic, they they combine this very unique quality from a physiological point of view. Like they can they can move very quick. They have very quick acceleration, stop and go, a change of direction. But they also have this incredible stamina, so they don't get tired when they go when the match goes, you know, four or five sets. They always win. They don't fatigue this to the same level. That's why Djokovic is so tough and they're all the same way. You know, when they go, the, the longer the match goes, it's almost like Djokovic wants to lose the first two sets. And then he can just he can just make a good show for the crowd because he knows that if it drags on, his stamina is not going to drop as much as the other guy. He's just going to pull him through. That's going to pull him through at the at the end. So you have kind of like the combination of someone who can run like a 4 with someone who can also run like, a two-hour marathon. Like you have this like combination of gifts, like these incredible gifts. Uh, and then we combine it with the mentality that we talk about, like the mentality, the, the, the psychological characteristics of a champion, and really and like good technique. Uh, Alcaraz is great technique. Do mm-hmm. you know he has like beautiful, like straight arm, forehand, like like fetter? He has Federer in the doll. Uh straight arm style is very rare. Beautiful straight arm forehand backhand, like super compact, nice. Uh, uh, nice ATP backhand, you know, really he, he, he's has, you know, good looking serve technique serve, not, not uh, very typical Spanish serve, not, not that impressive. Uh, this is a thing in Spain, like that continues for, for generations. Like you don't see a lot of big, great servers coming out of Spain. It's really a problem, you know, but
0: yeah, it's, it's something that that has developed for Nadal. And, uh, I think, I think, Alcaraz knows that that it needs to develop for him. He's got a live arm, you know, the miles per hour is kind of there, but yeah. the the spots aren't being hit as much as uh, as he would. They own. don't work
1: on the serve that much in Spain. It's unbelievable to me. This yeah. is one of the, the biggest flaws in the Spanish system is they really don't work that much on the serve. I mean, you can have a 2-hour practice in Spain and and still at the end, at the very end maybe you got 10 15 minutes of serving and that's it, you know, it's just not I mean, maybe some academies are now more progressive, trying to change. I, I've, I've been talking about it for years. I said, you know, if you guys could figure out how to serve well, uh, to produce really good servers. You know, Tony doesn't serve that much. He's always worried about injuries. So he limits his players to like 15, 20 serves, and then they have to change, shift gear. So, so part of it's like some coaches are really worried about injury. I and mean, it's good to be cautious, but at the same time, you got to get those reps in to develop a really good, you know, good serve. Uh, so I almost think that Tony is too cautious in terms of uh, trying to prevent injuries, and that other Spanish coaches are just obsessed with the legs and the ground strokes that they just like almost to serve as an afterthought. So that this happens in many academies in Spain. So, and if you want to go to Spain and train, you have to be really careful where you go and make sure that you're developing your serve. Like when I took kids to Spain, like we do the whole normal practice, and then I would take them out and we would go work on the serve after because they didn't serve, they, they didn't serve or return that much either. By the way. Alcaraz has a great return, which is... He does. I said. But sometimes they don't return that much in Spain either. You know, it's not a lot of serving. A lot, a lot of work on like the middle of the point. A lot of work on like ground strokes, movement, and fitness. You spend a lot of time on your fitness, but not so much time working on serve targets. You know? That's why, Gil, a lot of players from Russia and Northern European countries, Eastern European countries, they develop their really good serve there. They developed a really good technique there and then they go down to Spain and they learn how to run and play from the baseline and it makes a perfect combo, perfect combination. Uh, And that's a formula uh, that has been around now for decades where you have bigger, and they're also bigger. So you get these big, like Eastern European, like Croatians and Russians, and they come down to Spain and they learn how to move and grind on the clay and they become really tough to beat because they combine a big, big serve with the the movement and and consistency that spain is famous for that's that's a really good uh, combination right and sometimes the spanish players the the uh the, the players who are native to spain they don't have the fit that that size you know they don't have that strength and they don't and they they don't if they grow up in spain they don't serve that much or they play soccer for all their young years they don't throw a baseball and so you get a lot of native spanish players with sort of like mediocre sir okay sir and then you get these uh, uh, players from other countries who migrate to Spain. And they, get, they have the big serve. And then they learn how to move and grind. It's really a beautiful combination. You mentioned uh, players like Zverev and like Medvedev. And I thought of Murat Safin, you know, back in the day. Murat Safin, for me, is uh, the guy who sort of foreshadowed all of the, the big, tall guys, powerful guys who move well now in the game, in the modern game today. Marat Sapin was doing that and dominating and he had a great game and there is a big Russian guy who went to Spain learned uh, uh, learned learn how to play play in Spain uh, there, did his finishing school in Spain and then it was very tough to beat you know? so he was a mental case but uh, if he was uh, had a better mentality uh, he could have won you know probably 10 to 15 he could have been one of the, the greatest you know but right. he was uh, he had like a real hot he was a real hot had a big temper but he was one of like six four six five. He could move great, great ground strokes, great return, and a really big serve.
0: I want to get to the height thing, but uh I but there's uh some other stuff that uh piqued my interest first. And and the serve thing is interesting. I I just want to throw out a couple of names. Um Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, Sarah Saribas Tormo, like these are players who Whose serves are way behind the rests, the other parts of their games and it, and it holds them back. So, so you can uh-huh. definitely see what you're describing, Chris, in terms of the training that, that goes on in Spain, you can definitely see that manifesting on the court. Um, yeah,
1: it, and it, it goes back many generations. I yeah. mean, the, it goes back to the original Spanish players who really just served, they just spun it in and, 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 you know, the, the serve was seen as just a way to start the point primarily. Mm-hmm. Maybe you kick it in wide on the on the ad court and you just start the point. And, and that obviously today's game, that's that doesn't that's not effective anymore. You have to have a big serve weapon. And I, th- I think still Spain is still trying to evolve from a training perspective. And they still have if you if you see a player like like the ones you mentioned, if you see a player coming out of Spain like, like that, and you're like, wow, that guy moves great, great, big forehand, really consistent but man, it serves kind of, you know, how it serves not that impressive. That means they grew up in a part of Spain or an academy in Spain or with a coach in Spain who neglected their serve. That's usually what that means. They can't, and, and there's different pockets of, you know, every academy is different. Every coach has a little different philosophy, but there's a lot of coaches who don't work on the serve enough in Spain. It's, it's a problem. Yeah.
0: Well, um, one person who, who I think has learned to, to emphasize it later in, in the career. And Carlos Moya has come in and, and helped just going back to Nadal. And, uh, you know, we talk about Nadal losing a lot of the speed that he had. I think that it's uh, absolutely striking at this point. Uh, he's not moving nearly as well as he did when he won his first couple majors. Uh, and now he's, he's found ways to win uh, playing a different style. I mean, what do you think of his adaptation, his evolution uh, responding to aging and, and losing the speed and just finding other parts of his game to, to work in ways for him where he could kind of counteract that.
1: Yeah, this is like one of the greatest stories, I think, in the last few years uh, in, in tennis. Like his ability to uh, evolve his own game and, and to adapt is incredible. Tony Nadal says the greatest gift, the greatest talent a player can have is the ability to learn. Talks about that a lot. And Ra- I mean, if Rafa didn't have, i mean how many assets does he have and then he has this ability to to, uh, to transform his game and to keep learning to keep working on his net game to learn how to take the ball earlier to improve his court position and strike first more i can't believe he pulled it off like i didn't like a few years ago when everyone was sort of talking about it like rafa is gonna you know Moy is gonna try to get rafa to play more aggressive and like honestly, I didn't think he could do it because when you spend so many years playing a certain style, usually when you try to uh, change it under pressure, like it, it doesn't work. I just I don't know how he did it. <laughs> how, how could how could he do it? I, uh, it? He's just one of those special individuals that, I mean, most of my if I have a top uh, top national ranked student or a highly ranked sectional player, and I tell them, okay, or we're gonna work on. And they like to play baseline. It's going to be so difficult for me to get them to like in a big tournament to try to like move to the net, or it's it's just going to be such a battle for most kids. Most kids are do not are not going to be able to transform themselves that way. It's just an amazing story. It worked. Like he's got twenty one now. Like, I guess it's working for him. I didn't think it was going to work. To be honest, I
0: think it's I think it's worked for uh, for a while actually. Like if you look at the the win percentages are still there now on on the quicker surfaces. He's had some health issues, but. I think the the number one thing that's helped him, Chris, in my opinion, is how much he's attacking that first forehand. He's not holding back. He's not really worried about playing that first ball safe. You know, the serve isn't huge still, but whenever that return drops, you know, in a somewhat attackable place, Rafa's just punishing that first ball.
1: Especially the inverted forehand. Like he's so quick. He's still very quick to get around. The backhand and rip that inverted forehand and you're right he's going for more winners with it honestly i didn't think he could do it i didn't think it could pull it off i thought it was going to backfire like he wouldn't be able to, to win when it came down to the the pressure moments like you just because usually you fall back on the way you you learned, like the way you grew up the way you, you know because imagine how many times he's been in, in in battle and he had to like fall back behind the baseline and defend and i didn't think he could do it i, I see him serving volleying now i don't know what i'm looking at like who is this <laughs> who, who what is this guy doing and, and he's following great yeah it's a great lesson i mean it's a great lesson i don't know like if i'm trying to teach it's a good role it's a good example for my students it's a great lesson for students that they can they can adapt and and evolve their they're, they're not they don't have to be stuck in a certain style of play but can most people do that can the average recreational player do that the average uh pusher or you know grinder can they actually like learn these things and maybe he's just such a special individual like it's just it's an amazing story i I don't know how he's able to do it i think the average person if they try that they could ruin their game like sometimes it's better to stay with a very simple game plan a very simple style that you do well and not try to dabble in like these other things you know so i I don't i I mean part of the lesson is like it's a great example of of, of being able to evolve yourself but at the same time i think people should be careful if if, if they think that anyone can do that you know he's rafa but uh and what do you think Gil? You think it's possible for anyone to just <laughs> grow, like go from uh and and the other thing is is he's like in his own career now he he exemplifies the sort of the classic spanish way and then now the the modern progressive spanish style which is much more all court much uh much more attacking this is basically uh Like the style of Juan Carlos Ferrero, the style of of, that Tony likes to see. I mean, Tony let him play back in the day, like more defensively. He was so fast, he'd get to everything, and and he won a lot that way. But but Tony really over the years has evolved to want to see players playing like tighter on the baseline with more more weapon, you know, more attacking, strike first, striking a little more first, which is Mm -hmm. not the classic way that players have trained and have played or trained in Spain typically over the years. But Roth is sort of in his own career, sort of, you know he he he, show, he demonstrates like like uh, maybe the old the old generation and the new generation, but it's in his own life, his own career himself. Yeah.
0: I, I think it's uh, kept his mind stimulated. I think he's extremely passionate about about training and and tinkering and figuring out new things. and I think that kind of keeps him going. And I think the learn. only pl- right? like the only yeah, he player he, who he,
1: could do that. he likes to come to the court and learn. He likes to learn. So maybe right. right. Kept keeps him fresh mentally. I can't believe he did. Like like part of me is like these coaches are all wrong. Like they they they're gonna they're gonna ruin him. He's never gonna win again because he's gonna try. Um it's like Villan, I don't know if you follow like Mats Villander started to slice his back in his later years of his career. He started like slicing back in. So it's like kind of like, I don't know, should he have done that or should should he have just stuck with I guess you always it's always a question. Do you evolve? He said he said
0: it messed him up, Chris actually
1: right right. Yeah. you know i mean or so, you need to take yeah. someone who's uh or you take an aggressive player like like a maxime cressy or someone and you try to teach them how to grind or how to play deep uh, you know or, or a certain volley player and can you really sometimes it, it's it backfires and you, you just you can ruin their a player that way so i think it's really a double edged sword you have to be really careful and when i saw that rotha was you know, going to explore that way of playing. I was like, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know if he can do it. You know, but look, he look, he he won the he won twenty first that way.
0: Yeah, and I don't think he could be winning if he was in his his old way because he just doesn't have that physicality that he used to have. And right, that's the baseline, isn't that the the foundation of playing? Kind of shot tolerance. Uh, yeah. limit the mistakes. Like you need the fitness on the base level of that and the, the speed. Oh no.
1: Maybe he felt his body. Like maybe he felt it. Like he just like internally, he, he felt his body couldn't keep that up. I, I don't know. He had to find another solution and champions try to find a way. Right. He, he wanted to yeah. win and uh, maybe he started feeling it as he was getting older. Like, I don't know if I can play this, this way for the next few years or whatever it is the rest of my career. And he still wanted to win it's an incredible story of how he was able to transform himself and win and win a really big, big, big event and get that 21st with a, with a, with a, a very, very different style. I mean, he's not, he's not, if you look at 2009 compared to now, it's a very different player. Very rarely didn't come to net that much back then. I want
0: to shift gears and end on, on the future of play styles in, in men's tennis, because we, we are seeing, Medvedev and Zverev, and we talked about the big man who can move a little bit better. But but they are almost, you know, they really are what you said. They they serve bombs, but they also move, defend, keep the ball in the court. Unbelievable consistency. They're they're kind of like huge serving grinders. Um, I
1: love Yo, know, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm just. I don't know where your listeners stand or your viewers, but I love these guys. I love this. I love this type of player. Yeah. Because this this player to me is can dominate the game. They're very tough to beat because they got that big the big weapons, but they can also move and grind. Like to me it's very it's actually the way I would love to, if I have a kid who I'm developing like this is what I would love. Like I feel I I succeeded if I can get if I have a really tall I love getting a tall player whether it's a girl or a boy. If I know they're going to be big, like it's very exciting to get someone who's going to be tall and, and potentially have a huge serve. And, but sorry, my,
0: sorry, I couldn't help you with that one.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, Gil. But you are a great <laughs> player. and You worked hard, buddy. You had a good game. Uh, yeah, but it's like, I mean, th- those kids are really exciting. But I always want them. I want to make them. I want to teach them the Spanish way. I want, to, I want to teach them to move, to move beautifully. And I want to teach them to be consistent and learn how to construct points and be patient. And those guys that you mentioned, uh, there's there's a lot of examples that you know on on tour now that are very exciting for me to see. I, I love seeing that style. Like, you mentioned Medvedev, Sverev. Um, who else do you like? Herkoc like,
0: her, like, her has a little bit of it.
1: We no, um, I mean, keep going through Berrettini. You have uh, even like uh, Kevin Anderson, very good example. That big yeah, guy. They're,
0: they're not on. They're they're on kind of a tier below from a movement perspective. Anderson and Berrettini. From a court he, coverage standpoint. He's
1: playing. He's not serving volume. You see Maxime Cressy. That, that game is really interesting. He, he's, he's 6'6", but he's playing a very different style. Yeah. You know, uh, I'd like to see that. You know, I don't want to say he plays wrong, but, like, the way he plays for a Spanish coach is outrageous. It's, it's, it's like a disaster. You know, like, uh, the way he tries to attack the net all the time is too high risk. It's not, it's not, uh, it's too, too risky and the way that uh, like medvedev plays he, he didn't train in spain but i mean he has a very spanish mentality the way he plays he, he he goes deep he defends makes a lot of balls he doesn't play heavy spin but he he basically you know he might as well have grown up in spain the way he plays and i don't know where he i don't know where he did his junior years i'm sure it probably wasn't in russia but um who else? i think
0: uh i think well well Pass has a lot of size and and also moves beautifully but and and you know the difference between he's i think not, he's like
1: six six but what is he like six three six four I,
0: I think he might be six five i think he's listed at six four but i, I he for some reason on tv he doesn't come across as as big as he does live in person
1: i believe it all the guys are that big i'm six yeah. three and when i went when i went to futures i just felt like small small dude i, I felt like i felt the game i always wanted to be 6'6 like todd martin or like you know i wanted to have like that extra size i was so jealous of guys who made like 6'6 because like i made 6'3 i had a pretty good serve but not not like that uh that that extra height and the the wingspan really helps and now i see those but in the back in the day those guys used to have liabilities they didn't move well they were erratic, kind of like Isner, like like guys who are like six five, six six, kind of played like Isner back in the day. Uh, now you got guys seven feet tall or six eleven who are a little bit erratic. Like I, I think Opelka and Isner, I, I wish they would, they could, they could, and they move decent for big guys. But I, like same thing, like what's the, what's the, what's the playbook on Opelka or Isner? Like Isner's going to be a little erratic, going to move him around. He's not going to be able to stay with you from the baseline. Like I love to see those guys move. Any any big powerful player, I want to see them moving beautifully. And That's what they do in Spain. They do it really well. Uh, so yeah, so, so how does uh,
0: how does uh, Alcaraz compete with that? Because you know the, right. there was a second Chris where I was I was thinking, are, are we going to see another top prospect under six foot three again? Uh, you know, and I, I thought you know maybe there would be here and there, but but Alcaraz comes in and and he's back to kind of the the 2000s, uh, 2010s mold, you know, he's six foot one and and that, that might be generous. I'm not sure, but, but, but he's, uh, how does he compete with the Medvedevs and the Zverevs?
1: Yeah, I don't think it stacks up that great because, you know, I, I always feel that if you have the, if you got 140 mile per hour serve, you're big, got massive power and you can move. I mean, who can, who can beat you? You know, so usually those guys have have liabilities back in the day, but now they're moving so well, like like the way Medvedev moves for a big guy to me is like the dream. It's a, his techniques yeah. all wonky, like it's very unorthodox, but like the way basically his build, the way he moves for like six, six or so, to me is like the dream. If you can get your hands on on that genetic material. uh that's the way i felt for years maybe for a long time now i felt like the pro games moving that way moving more to basketball size players i just always felt that the game and maybe i felt it personally when i was playing on the circuit I, I felt like the players were getting bigger and i don't know you know i could ask like mark kovacs if he has the data to support that uh maybe it's debatable but i really feel that i've always felt the game's getting bigger the players are getting in the females too the females getting bigger And now they're getting not only getting bigger, but they're moving exceptionally well. I think it's really scary when you play someone like that. I don't know if you ever played guys like that, but when you get like a big guy who also moves like Medvedev, it's it's like it's like a panic and sets in on your end, your side of the court, because they have that big like Medvedev's got a great serve, actually very nice technical serve. But Mm -hmm. then he backs up with that beautiful movement and stamina, which usually the big guys don't have the stamina, they don't have the speed. So they're going to give you some free points in those situations. But now guys are getting more and more solid, the big guys. I just think it's an example of the game moving more to basketball-sized players. When I watch ESPN and I watch a a pro basketball game, all of those guys out there on the basketball uh, court, I just think, man, I mean, this is what the tennis world is going to look like. I just think that. And you're starting to see it a little bit. You see guys up to 6'11". And then you see a lot of guys six four, six five, six six, six seven, and they're they're not just like big serving serving ballers anymore. They they can really move and play. I just think the more athletes, there I just I guess I'll predict that more and more athletes will get into tennis like that. And on the women's side, it's going to be more like you know six foot, six one, six two, you know, big bigger girls. So yeah, yeah, that's that's what I see for the game. And where does that leave guys like Alcaraz? I think they have a real tough, they have tough days at the office, you know, because uh, he doesn't have enough firepower, even as good as his forehand is. If he's up against a guy who's a big dude, who's got a lot of juice, I just think that he can get steamrolled like a, like a Del Potro, you know, like someone who's like a lot of juice, you know. Like, uh, it's going to be tough for him, but he's going to be great. There's no doubt he's going to be a great player, but can he be number one? Can he be uh, like a solid top tenor? He's going to end up like a David Ferrer, you know, like, you know, I, I don't know. He's done very well, making thir- making 30 in the world. Been inc- his journey over the last few years is the dream. It's every academy's dream. Every coach's dream. It's incredible. The, if you just, like, follow his Instagram, like, the last couple of years, it's unbelievable. Just, like, playing Futures, Challengers, bam, top 100. Now he's seated at the Grands. It's, it's unbelievable, the, the, the rise. And uh, I'm sure he'll be a really good player because he's got that world-class speed. That's going to win you a lot a lot of matches. But when he's up against those big dudes, like you ask me, like I don't know, man. What do you think?
0: Well, uh, I think Medvedev is a Spanish forehand away from ruling the world. And he just doesn't have that. He doesn't create very well. And Zverev doesn't create all that well. Sometimes he does, but then usually he doesn't. Uh, either on the forehand. So I, I still think there's missing pieces. They, they have the serve, they have the movement, but, but yeah. then there's, there's still that hole. Yeah. And I think Alcaraz doesn't have that Alcaraz has, I, I can check almost every single box except really the serve is still getting them.
1: Yeah. I mean, he could still win slams. You know, you can still, you can be six one and still be great. I mean, I believe because he he's got, he's got, he's got that premier speed. I mean, the speed yeah. is really special. It's not because people need to understand and like your audience needs to understand there's fast and then there's like world class speed. Like there, there's there's different levels of fast. Everybody on the tour is fast, pretty unless they're like, you know, like Opelka or someone really. But anyone who made the tour is, is got a pretty good speed. And, but but this guy is like on another planet speed and you can measure those things. I mean, you can you can measure that in the lab or on the track. Like These, these things are, are quantifiable, you know. Uh, there's different levels of speed, so he's got that, and that speed is is an incredible weapon. So he's got that. We'll see how how he does. I think I again getting back to his psychology. How how good can he be psychologically? And and if he, we'll see who else is coming up. If you it, it it'll come down to like the the matchups, right? Like the the Federer versus Nadal. We'll see if someone if one of these big. Guys who can move well will will have his number if he's going to struggle against some you know some of those types of players. That's that'll be something to look out for, right? Uh, down yeah. the road.
0: Yeah. Well, right now, trajectory wise, age, rank, he's kind of way ahead of where everyone else has been. Uh, really, only you could compare him to to Nadal in that way. And then after that, he's uh, you'd have to go back <laughs> to the nineties, <90s, laughs> right?
1: Because he's eight, he's eighteen. He could be playing. He could still be playing ITFs. Totally. Yeah. So you think you think about like his age. It's just. And uh, the, typically, the trajectory in spain they, they don't usually play that many ITFs of Spanish players. So he's doing like he's doing basically a uh, no. He's got great. He's got a great coaching team back there. They—they they basically guided him through the futures and through the challengers. Such a difficult road. They did it. Like they, it's an amazing coaching accomplishment. It's it's really special. They took him right through that, and now he's made it to the big show, and it looks like he's he's going to even go higher now. Like this is an incredible uh, accomplishment. Obviously, Alcaraz is, is doing all this, but the coaching team, around, it, it goes back to the coaching team around him with J.C. Ferrero's influence. But the other coach, the whole team there at, at Equite, they're just doing a very professional job. You can see the way he's been guided and uh, it's just really, uh, you know, these, these things don't always happen like this. Like, you know, the, you don't always just make that move. But I think it's a testament to the people that are around him who are, who are you know, bringing him through this these levels
0: yeah it's been very special to watch more more to come many more chapters to be written um and chris i've i've really enjoyed having this chat about uh spanish tennis nadal alcaraz i think the listeners uh will enjoy it as well
1: yeah very interesting yeah good stuff
0: all right thanks for coming on we'll catch up soon
1: all right buddy see ya